That's really appropriate song to go with that testimony too. Knowing that you're not alone. There are a lot of things bigger than we are. It's greater to know he's bigger than they are. right? We are in the book of Acts doing a short series in Acts 17 on the character of God. And tonight I want to look at verses 10 through 15 as we talk about an open mind. I entitled it a good model for an open mind. So I encourage you to stand in our God's honor as I read from the word. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for hearts and minds that were open to you. God, sometimes we think that we have to open people's hearts and minds. But we can't, Lord. It is only by the Spirit of God that hearts and minds are open to God. And so, Father, we confess all of that. And as we look at this text tonight, uh, just this example of an open-mindedness that's good. Uh, Father, um, it's about your Spirit being there. And... We just ask that your spirit continues to be here. I fear sometimes, Father, that um, I might block your spirit or hinder your spirit or just not listen. And so, Father, I ask for your protection tonight as we continue on. Um, I know you've been with us so far, and I just ask you still, Father, present with us, Lord, through the remainder of our time together. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. We pray. Be seated. Uh, you know, I'd always heard that with open mindedness, you have to be careful, or you can be so open minded, your brain might fall out. And, you know, but there's an example here of open mindedness that's good because there are people who are open to what they don't know and they don't understand, but it's a genuine search for God. Um, I had read some time back uh, about a Russian billionaire who worked together with Stephen Hawking in order to seek out and search the beginning of the universe, where we came from, where we're going, who we are, and discover those answers. And it was a $100 million initiative where there was high-tech equipment that was used to go out as far as possible to the expanse of the universe to try to find a voice 
to find some sign of life. And Hawking, who is head of the board of this search, he said, what we expect to find is a creation without a creator, a creation that evolves by itself on its own to become what it has now become. And, you know, as I look at that, it's so sad to me that people who miss the Creator, who miss God Himself who is with us. And as we look at the Scriptures in Genesis 1, we see the beginning of life. God spoke everything into existence, including life itself. And then in Revelation 21, we read about the destination of life. That he who has the Son is the one who has eternal life and life with God. And the one without the Son faces a life apart from God. And when we think about hell and we think about suffering and we think about eternity, for all of the descriptions of that, the worst description, in my opinion, is God is not there. God is not there. Al Mohler, in a recent blog, talked about some studies that were done about our country where the Bible is revered, where people have a sense of the Bible is sacred, but unfortunately, what is all too common is that the Bible is never opened. People do not read the Bible. And so people don't know what the Bible says. And, and Muller goes on and he gives these statistics. He says, uh, fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. Man, that, that's just disheartening. Fewer than half can name the four Gospels. Um, he goes on, he says, many Christians cannot identify the names of more than two or three of the twelve disciples. At least 12% of adults believe John of Arc was Noah's wife. I guess it was the Ark, you know, where that came from. He said, a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Some real confusion. He goes on and he says, how can a generation be biblically shaped in its understanding of human sexuality when 50% of them think Sodom and Gomorrah are a married couple. And they think that God helps those who help themselves is an actual verse in the Bible. Um, there is a need to know God. And to know what God has to say. And that is found um, in His book. In His Word. And we need to know what that word says. See if you guys can help me. Are you familiar with Psalm 1? The problem is we all know it in probably different translations. So it might sound like tongues. But God will get it. But think about it. He starts out, he said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What is the wicked? The wicked one is the one who lives without God. Verse I quoted this morning, Psalm 10, verse 4, it says, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. That's really the wicked one. There's no room for God in his thoughts. 
Pride is, is what drives him. It's, it's about me. You know, the three favorite pronouns. I, myself, and me. You know, that, that, that is what rules. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. See, see there's a progression. He's walking toward where he shouldn't be and he gets there and he stays there and that's where he hangs out. And then it ends... And it talks about, um, or sits in the seat of mockers. For some versions, it says scorners. You see the progression? You move away from God and you go a direction that is apart from God, the way of the wicked. You end up where you're hanging out your companions, where you're getting your counsel. It's with sinners. And what is the result of that? You become a mocker. You, you begin to mock the things of God. Um, where you make fun of, of, of the truth of God and, and, and the people of God and, and the promise of God. But then he gives the opposite of that. He, he says, um, but his delight, talking about the godly man, his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Remember that? It made me think, does anybody know Joshua 1.8? Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. To, to meditate is a word that, that talks about that cow that chews and chews and chews. As the digestive process, as the milk is, is formed. And, and it's a picture of when we get in the Word is, is, is to really soak ourselves in the Word. To meditate on it day and night. And he goes on the next verse. He says, Who will be like a tree planted by the waters, who yields its fruit in season, who yields its fruit in season, and who, whose leaf does not wither? It says, Whatever he does prospers. Then he goes back to the wicked. He says, Not so the wicked... They're like chaff that the wind blows away. In other words, a life who does not submit to God is a fleeting life. And it just wastes away. He says, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see, that, that psalm, that ancient song, is a beautiful picture of having a, a, a passion for the Word and, and for the Scriptures and the importance of that. We, we have a God who loves us, who wants to reveal Himself to us, who wants to give us values and virtues, who wants to give us hope, who wants to forgive us, who wants to open our hearts to Him. And that comes as we listen and obey His Word with an open-mindedness. And now as we look at this section of Scripture, I want to see three characteristics that are modeled in this text of an open mind. What it looks like. First, you receive the Word eagerly. Look here in verses 10 and 11 of our text. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. 
Let me just say a note before I get in the text here. You know, we talked about last time that we looked at Acts 17 that the, their first encounter, people, there was a riot. People were not receptive. This time there is a receptiveness that occurs, and that is what we're going to look at. He goes on, he says, Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The verb that's used for great eagerness here, for eagerness, carries the idea of someone rushing forward with a passion to receive something. Think of pictures you may have seen of refugees who are running to food and water supplies and who are desperate. As as they run in order to receive what they desperately need. And I read about a preacher after he retired who had gone to the former Soviet Union and he was in the underground church. Small group of believers desperately wanted him to preach. So he got up and he preached for about an hour. And there were so many people in in, in the little, it was a little room, but they were just filled to the room, again, standing against the walls, sitting in chairs uh, in this small little room, huddled together, listening intently on every word that this man preached. Finally, he sat down, but nobody moved. Nobody left. Nobody, nobody got up. And a lay leader of that underground congregation came over and whispered in his ear and said, we want more. So he got back up. He opened his Bible, preached the best he could for another hour. Went back, sat down. Lay leader came back over and went, we want more. So he got up. And he, and he preached again with all of his heart to be able to bring forth the word. You see, these people were starved. You know, we think, are you kidding me? But they kept saying, we want more. There was an eagerness. There was a thirst. There, there was a hunger. And that's what it means here, being of more noble character. There was a genuine hunger for God. And a genuine hunger to know what he wants to say. How he wants to speak to them. That, that's the expression. That's the open-mindedness that was being communicated. Now, secondly, they examined the scriptures carefully. Notice here in the second part of verse 11, it says, And they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Notice uh, it didn't say, they examined the scriptures weekly for one hour on a Sunday morning and then they left. No, they examined the scriptures every day because they had questions and they believed that God was going to show himself and reveal himself through the scriptures. Through the questions that they had, he was going to open the truth 
to them. And so they examined these scriptures. One linguist described the action as a careful and exact research as an illegal process. In other words, they're saying we can't miss one word because it's legally binding issues between God and us. And we need to know what God has to say. We need more. I want more. See, that was the passion of these believers. Just, just like those in the underground church, there, there were a group of people. At this point, they were seeking. They weren't there. Their hearts had not responded yet to the gospel. But man, they're, they're looking feverishly because they want to know, is this from God? Does God want to speak to me? And, and you've got to remember here in this time, they didn't have the New Testament. So everything was from the Old Testament and from those Jewish scrolls. And we don't know exactly what scripture they used. But let's just use a little imagination. How about Psalm 22? Psalm 22, a messianic psalm. I can just see Paul opening the text of Psalm 22 and speaking to these people who want to know. Who want to know about God. Why am I here? Why, why was I made? Who made me? Where am I going? I, I need to know purpose. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day. But you do not answer by night. And am not. Then you drop down to verse 7 and 8. All who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Down to verse 16. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count on my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Can't you just hear Paul say, this was a song, an ancient song that was written by King David. But this song written by King David, it it doesn't speak about David. It speaks about a Messiah who was to come. And let me tell you about that Messiah when he hung upon that cross and he bore the weight of the sin of all on that cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was for that brief moment. The weight of all that sin for a brief moment, it separated him from the Father. This is not talking about David. This is talking about that Messiah. And his name is Jesus. He said, let me go on and tell you more about what happened to Jesus. It's right here. Written many, many years before. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. Shaking their heads. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was insulted. He was cursed. He was mocked. He was beaten. 
verse 8, they told him, he, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. They said, if you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. That, that was the prophecy that was said. If you're all powerful, use that power to come down from the cross to reveal who you are. And we all know that he has complete power. Man, if he wanted to call down one angel. You know, it talks about in Isaiah that one angel, if I remember correctly, took care of 185,000 soldiers. That's some pretty good power. I can just hear Paul saying, this psalmist, these scriptures are talking about that promised one. And after he died and they divided among them, his garments, casting lots for his clothing. And then thirdly, in order to have that openness, you adapt to the truth personally. Look at verse 12. Go back to Acts 17 here. Acts seventeen twelve. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women... And many Greek men. This was a period of studying the scriptures. Probably lasted for a couple of months. It was an intense study to seek out the truth. And as they sought out that truth, as they looked through those prophecies and those Old Testament scriptures, they came to a conviction and a conclusion that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus was crucified, but he was resurrected. And that he is at the right hand of the Father. And he is at the one true hope for the forgiveness of sin. And, and that was the conclusion they came to. They found their ultimate hope there and they believed. They, as we would say, came to salvation. They came to Christ. But as a result of that, it wasn't easy street. Or as we, you know, say a prosperity gospel... Well, you know, everything now is going to be, you know, just so comfortable. and We'll just rock along. No, their faith actually was costly. Verse 13, when the Jews in Thessalonica learned Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast that Silas and Timothy escorted They escorted them, uh, Paul to Athens. Man, it was costly. But what they wanted to know was, um, Paul, you know, I want to know if you're a great preacher. I want to know how smart you are and how eloquent you are at arguments and being able to debate. And No, that was not their passion. What their passion was... Is who is this God that is being revealed to me? And what do these ancient scriptures have to say about that holy God? Is he the truth? Because if he is really God, and this is really his word, then no matter what comes my way, I'm going with God. That was their conviction, and, and, and that was their desire. It was to confer to confess, to convert, to follow, to obey instead of ignoring God, to go His direction. A good open mind is only good when you place the priorities on the examination of the Scripture. 
there are many today that say, well, it's just about how you feel. It's about discovering what's right for you or what's best for you. Did you hear who was the subject of all that? Self. It, it wasn't God who was the subject of all that. Where do we get our truth? Is it from our feelings? What we feel inside or from our peers or what we see on TV or, or what we read in magazines or what we hear from a professor at a school or merely from our emotions or is it from the Bible? Where do we get our convictions and what is solid in our lives? Our foundation. Is our foundation objective truth or is it something that's subjective? That changes according to each individual. That's a big question. One evangelical author commented. About a couple of books he had written. Here's a couple examples. He talks about a noted psychiatrist and radio talk show host. Who wrote in feelings there's wisdom. For the simplest feelings speak the greatest truth. Become comfortable with your feelings. Because your feelings are your life. Trust your feelings. They're the only true guidance you'll ever get. He referred to another bestseller written for women, which contains a chapter called Trust Your Feelings, Not Your Reasoning. In that chapter, he tells her readers, Don't trust your thinking. It could be warped. Pay attention to your emotions, feelings, and moods. Emotions have their own logic. They're linked to an inner knowing that we can trust. And then this evangelical author, he attached it. Uh, to this uh, a writing, he said, suppose you see one, someone standing on a window ledge 40 stories up. And they're clinically depressed. Maybe it's because of some cra- catastrophic life event. Maybe it's a chemical imbalance. Um, what would you tell the person? Trust your feelings. Your emotions speak the greatest truth. Jump! No. You wouldn't say that. Or your parents of a teenage daughter. Would you say tonight when you go on your date with your boyfriend, you have this huge crush on, and, and you get in a place where it's just the two of you, and you're parked somewhere? Trust your feelings. Trust your emotions. Are you kidding me? No way, Jose! That wouldn't happen. So, the question is not what others have to say in our culture. What does God have to say? What does He have to say about the values of our life? What does He have to say about being pure? What does He have to say about living by conviction or by feeling? What does He have to say about where we came from and and where we're going? And then one last point here. A good open mind is when you commit your life to the application. Of scripture. It's not just enough to know the words of scripture. They have to become a part of the way you live. Becomes, you know, as as they say, it's not just enough to mark your Bible. Your Bible needs to mark you. In which there is a difference. Um, I close with this illustration I'd read about recently. a, A missionary who was in the Amazon. This missionary uh, was discipling a new convert, and it was very difficult. Uh, many different beliefs, and 
one of the beliefs that were different had to do with the rainbow. <laughs> In the Amazonian culture, a rainbow was a sign of impending death, that death was around the corner. And um, in a village not too far away, there were others that viewed the rainbow as a walking stick of death. And still further down, there was another village that viewed the rainbow as a giant snake that comes to earth to kill and to destroy others. And and so this uh, new believer was terrified as he saw this rainbow. And, and the history of, of what he had believed and what he had been taught dealt with, you know, impending death. You know, this is not good, <laughs> seeing this rainbow. And then this missionary opened his Bible to Genesis 9. And he said, now let me show you what God's book, what the Holy Scriptures say about the rainbow. It does not talk about impending death, but it is a promise that God will not destroy the earth again by flooding. It is really a promise of hope. And so, <laughs> this Missionary writes that he has he had the privilege to be able to share that truth with this one. And he looked over to the side and suddenly the rainbow was very clear and and bright. But the the one who was in fear suddenly was no longer in fear. But there was a sense of comfort and there was a sense of security because they understood. That this was not about impending death, but it was about the death that gave him impending life in Jesus Christ. That, that was the ultimate hope. And as we look at this book and we have an eagerness for his truth, it's worth knowing him. It's worth knowing his book. It's worth meditating on so that we may be careful to follow his commands, as it says in Joshua 1.8. Then we're prosperous and successful. Maybe not a big bank account, but a good life account. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for your word. Um, you know where we are, God. I mean, you know each of us, Lord. No sense playing games with you. Um, Father, I quoted... Uh, Hebrews 4.12 this morning. In verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before Him whom we must give account. And, uh, Father, we will give account, Lord. I just thank you for Jesus. Otherwise, I would be knocking my knees, that's for sure. And Father, you... Uh, as we have an altar that's open, and you know where we are, Lord. Uh, if we need to come to an altar and pray, bring us to the altar. If we need to, uh, Lord, just let you speak to us right where you are. May we do that. Uh, God, my desire is just that we would hear you and that you, Father, um, would speak and that we would respond. Uh, I just thank you, Father, for an opportunity to be together tonight with your people. And, Father, may we be eager to hear from you. In your name we pray.